the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The Jewish people saw themselves as an exclusive club that belonged to God, which foreigners and outcasts were not invited to. And in a similar way, you're going to see as we read some of this chapter that the foreigners and the outcasts saw themselves as too unworthy to be accepted by God anyway. And so God comes along through Isaiah to confront and to correct this thinking. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Would the lost feel welcomed in your presence? What about at your church? One of the most revolutionary things about Jesus was the way he embraced outsiders. The religious Jews of his time were not welcoming, just as we find with many modern churches. God had set the Israelites apart, but he didn't mean for them to be exclusive. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, the Jews were to be different in order to draw the world's attention to their God, not to push people away from him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 56. As he begins his message, all are welcome. You'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah, chapter 56. Well, in the 1937 classic, Little Rascals, Spanky conducts a private meeting for all the guys in the neighborhood neighborhood after news that the McGillicuddy girl did not invite any of them to her party. And so he stands up in front of all of his friends and in response to this rejection by the McGillicuddy girl, he suggests that the guys form a new club called the He-Man Woman Haters Club. (laughs) And he gets cheers from all of his prepubescent male friends, and they elect Alfalfa as their first president. And I do happen to believe that the 1937 classic is better than the 1994 remake, but that's for another story. Well, what was innocent among eight- and nine-year-old boys in a 1937 comedy is not so innocent among God's people when they see themselves 
as part of an exclusive club made up of self-righteous people. And the fact is that that's been a problem all through history when you look at Scripture, and Isaiah addresses a version of it in his own day here in chapter 56. The Jewish people saw themselves as an exclusive club that belonged to God, which foreigners and outcasts were not invited to. And in a similar way, you're going to see as we read some of this chapter that the foreigners and the outcasts saw themselves as too unworthy to be accepted by God anyway. And so God comes along through Isaiah to confront and to correct this thinking. And so he's basically going to challenge those and warn those who feel exclusive, and he's going to welcome those who feel excluded. And this is, this is the background to what we're going to read here, because in a nutshell, what God is going to say to the people of Isaiah's day, and it's still the same that he would say to our day, all are welcome. And we can't have this exclusive club mentality because God excludes no one, but salvation is a free gift to all who would believe and receive. So to those who are exclusive, God warns, and to those who feel excluded, God welcomes. That's the background to our story here. Let's look at chapter 56. I'll read verses 1 through 8. This is what the Lord says, Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Now, by the way, some of your Bibles, New King James and ESV, There in that last verse, instead of saying exiles, it says outcasts. And so Isaiah is addressing here foreigners, eunuchs, and outcasts. Basically, all those who feel excluded, God wants to welcome all. But there's also here this implied rebuke of of those among the Jewish people who felt like they were a part of this exclusive club and nobody else was allowed in. Now, it is true those of you who know your Old Testament law, it is true that foreigners and eunuchs in particular were excluded on on certain ceremonial grounds from performing certain duties in the temple. But they were never to be excluded 
from the eternal promises of God. The second thing that is also true is that in terms of this exclusive club mentality, the Jewish people were and are God's chosen people. And there is a truth to that that is revealed in Scripture, both Old and New Testament. For example, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, you don't need to turn there, I'm going to rattle off a few verses. Deuteronomy 7, 6, God says to the Jewish people, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. And also in Deuteronomy 14, 2, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be His treasured possession. And that theme is repeated in Deuteronomy 26.18, in Exodus 19.5, in Psalm 135, verse 4. And even in the New Testament, Paul, who was a Jew and writing on behalf of his uh, own people, he writes in Romans 9, 3-5, he says, For the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And he makes this list of, of their privileged role that they play in human history. He says, well, theirs is the adoption of sons. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. And then he adds there in Romans 9, 5, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. Now that last part is key to understanding what does it mean that the Jews are the chosen people. Because in this list that Paul makes here, he says, no doubt, my own people, writing as a Jew himself, we have some privileged uh, roles that we've played in the course of God's providential design in human history, the covenants, the temple worship, the promises, but the key to understanding it is this when he adds, and the patriarchs through whom is traced the, the, the human lineage of Christ Jesus, who is God forever praised. Amen. You see, the Jewish people were not chosen in the sense of belonging to an exclusive club that solely had relationship with God and the Jews only. But they were and are the chosen people of God in the sense that God chose them as a vehicle that through this race of people, a Messiah would be born from this race of people to bring salvation to all races of people. So in that sense, that's why the Jews were and are God's chosen people, selected for a very important purpose, really, the, the ultimate birth of Messiah from this race that didn't previously exist until God raised it up through the seed of Abraham for the benefit of all people. So here's the backstory to that. Where did the Jewish people come from? They didn't exist until God determined providentially that he would tap Abraham, who was Abram at the time, living in Iraq between the Tigris and the Euphrates, tap Abram on the shoulder and say, I'm selecting you. And Abram was just a Gentile pagan worshiper. He worshiped pagan gods. And for whatever reason, God saw within Abram something worth calling him in this role as this great patriarch of the Jewish people. And so God selects him. There were no Jews before this. And God calls Abram, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your gods. I want you to go to the land that I'm showing you. And there you will worship me, the true God. And Abraham believes. 
And Abraham by faith, and he leaves. And he ends up going and traveling to what is today Israel. And there he lives, and there he worships the true God. And God changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Avrahim, to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude of people. Because God says to him in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the father of a great nation, and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And Genesis twenty-two eighteen, he says, and through you all nations will be blessed. And what God was saying was he was pronouncing prophetically that through eventually the line of Abraham would come the Semitic race that eventually would lead to the birth of Messiah, that God in flesh would enter the human race, and Jesus Christ would come to be the Savior for all who would believe and receive. So in that sense, of course, the Jewish race, chosen people, very special to God, was and are God's chosen people, but for the purpose of the ultimate Messiah being revealed to the whole world. Not so that they can just be this exclusive club that solely belongs to God and no one else. Now, unfortunately, that's what went to the heads of many of the Jews. They understood their history. They understood, okay, Abraham was called and the Jewish race and God speaking to them and then the patriarchs and then Moses and then the law. And so we are these privileged, special people. Okay, but all of that went to their heads such that they began to have this exclusive club mentality, kind of, you know, the he-man Gentiles haters club, right? And so unfortunately, that's what happens in, in history. And, and that became pervasive even into the New Testament church. Even in the early days of the New Testament church, predominantly for the first 10 years or so after Christ rose from the dead, for the first 10 years or so, the, the church was exclusively made up of Jews who believed in Jesus, Yeshua as Messiah. You don't see the first Gentile convert until Acts chapter 10. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But what happened is that the Jewish people began to think that they were a a select, privileged people, and if you had any hope as a non-Jew, the only way you were going to get to God was to become Jewish, a proselyte, or a convert to Judaism. So in Galatians, in Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, he addresses this. He says, no, 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 this isn't true. You just have to have faith in Jesus. You don't have to go through Judaism. The, the, The revelation of Messiah came through Judaism, but now it's all about Jesus. It's all about coming to faith in Jesus. It's not being a part of a select little, little, you know, uh, uh, exclusive club. And so in Galatians chapter 2, Paul would say this, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, he puts it in quotes, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in in Galatians chapter 3, and he addresses Abraham as the great patriarch. And he says, take Abraham, for example. He says, if it's all about about obeying the law, then Abraham had no hope because Abraham was about 600 years before the law was even given. So he says, what was the key for Abraham? The key was faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's always been about faith. But you see, in New Testament time, there were these groups of Jews called the Judaizers who came along and said, okay, we believe it's Jesus. We get it. He's Messiah. He died for our sins, rose from the dead. But it's, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus the Jewish rituals. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus all the Jewish feasts. And Paul comes along and goes, no, 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 no. Listen, Judaism played an important role in bringing Messiah to, to, to the whole world. But it's, it, you don't have to go through all of that system 
You don't have to join the club to get to God. You have to have faith in Jesus, and then you are accepted into his family. And so Paul would write in Galatians 3, 8 and 9, he says, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Paul quotes in Galatians 3 from from Genesis 22, 18. And so Paul says, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. But you see this, this prejudice and this exclusive kind of club mentality even, even among some of the giants of the faith, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, for example, he struggled with this. I mean, as a Jew, he was proud of his Jewish heritage, which is fine. But traditionally, that pride would lead to prejudice. And, and so he even had a problem with Gentiles in regards to how they got saved. And we know this because it's revealed to us in Acts chapter 10. And I'll just summarize the story in Acts chapter 10. So what we have in Acts 10 is Peter, who is hanging out in this port city along the Mediterranean called Joppa. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful town uh, still today. I've been there a few times. And the Bible says that he's up on the roof of a home, because the roof was usually an extension of a house in those days. And he, and he goes up to the roof of the house to pray. But it says in Acts 10, as he starts to pray, he gets hungry. Can anybody relate to that? When you start to pray, your mind starts wandering to everything. I got to pay bills. I'm really ha- hungry. Do we have turkey or ham in the refrigerator? And so, you know, you go through all of this. So, so Peter's getting hungry. And so it says that he fell into a trance. So it's something between like low blood sugar and a nap, you know, and he's, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in that like hazy kind of, and he's, and the NIV uses the word trance. He falls into a trance. And God gives him a vision. Now, God's going to give him a vision to address, to confront this prejudice in Peter's heart. And in the vision, the vision is of this sheet, this bed sheet being lowered down from heaven by the four corners of the sheet. And inside the sheet, the Bible says, are all kinds of unclean animals, non-kosher animals. Uh, and it doesn't specifically say what, but we know the list in the Bible, so it, it probably included, you know, ham and and uh, uh, ravens are unclean bird and rabbits are unclean animals. And, and so, you know, he's got, here comes his vision, all these different things. And, and it was not kosher to eat these things. And, and in the vision, God says to Peter, get up, kill and eat these things. Now, um, that was not kosher for him as a Jew. I can't eat unclean animals. By the way, I was uh, a little while ago having lunch with, uh, a man that I've become friends with who's a Jewish rabbi, Orthodox Jewish rabbi, does not uh, believe or accept Jesus as Messiah. I'm working on him. Um, but, he, <laughs> but he pastors uh, a church in, in Washington, D.C., and he and I were having lunch together. And so I'm gently kind of, he actually came here, snuck into church uh, one time and told me later. So I don't know if he happened to be here. But, um, <laughs> but you know, so I'm just kind of gently um, prodding him about things. And, and he does the same to me. And I said, uh, why? Because we're eating lunch together, and he ordered a strict kosher meal. And I said, now tell me, tell me, why do you eat kosher? And he looked at me, and he said, you know what? I have no idea. (laughs) Anyway, it's a carryover. Some things we do, tradition, you know, tradition. Anyway, I won't sing the whole play, but um, you can thank me later. But anyway, Peter... Peter is told by God, get up and eat these things. And he takes pride in his Jewish heritage. And in Acts chapter 10, 14, and 15, he says, surely not I, replied Peter. 
He says, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Nothing, nothing non-kosher has come across my lips. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, now, what is God doing in this vision? What God is doing is trying to get Peter to realize for a long time, you've been looking at certain people as unclean, just like you look at certain foods as unclean. I just want you to know that whatever I determine is clean is clean. Stop looking at those dirty Gentiles as dirty Gentiles, because I died for them too. To make a long story short, God tells Peter, I want you to go to the house of Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion, and I want you to go share the gospel with him. And so Peter goes. And a whole bunch of details I'm leaving out, but the end of the story is that when, when Peter goes, gives Cornelius and his family the good news of Jesus Christ, died on a cross, rose again, that Cornelius and his whole household believe. Now under normal circumstances, Peter would never have even gone into the home of a Gentile. I'm, I'm a part of an exclusive club. You guys have to come through us. We don't really associate with you. But see, God is stretching and helping him to realize, this, this guy I died for too. Everybody's equally unclean, and only God makes us clean. So go ahead, and I want you to share the good news. He goes into the house of Cornelius. They believe the message. They get saved. And then Peter says something in Acts 10, 34 and 35 that is important to this whole story, and he says this, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear God and do what is right. And he comes to this personal epiphany, and he, and he realizes these barriers between people, man, I, I have felt like I'm part of an exclusive club, and I have felt like certain people are excluded from even getting into this club. And he says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And isn't this in part what Isaiah is saying here 700 years before Peter? In Isaiah 56, verse 7, the latter part of verse 7, where God says, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is about all people. Nobody should feel like they belong to an exclusive club, and neither should anybody feel excluded. God is saying, I died for all, that all might be saved, as many as believe in Him. To them that received Him, God gave the right to become sons and daughters of His. This is, this is an all-open invitation. Now, not everybody will respond to it, but this is an all-open invitation. And we need to be searching our own hearts because, you know, those kind of little subtle prejudices or, or this little kind of exclusive mindset that, you know, well, we're, we're kind of the church or we're Christians or we're, or we're this or we're that, and we can develop this kind of clubhouse mentality like the little rascals, only in a, in a, in a bad, in a sinful way, not just, a, you know, a 1937 comedy. And we need to ask ourselves, you know, do, do we have an exclusive prejudicial view of what the church should look like? Do you think that the church should only be made up of people who look like you? Because God doesn't. Open, open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner. 
The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who He is and what He expects from those who call Him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to Him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find a link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday. And child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know